Well, hello there. It's uh, Norm Allen here uh, with another of our sporadic on further reflections with Norm Allen series of podcasts and videos. Uh, today, I've invited a close friend of mine of long, long standing, Ron Nickel, to in engage in conversation with me about the news that we received back in the middle of February about the double sided life that Jean Vanier uh, had and uh, the the Larsh International Movement had to pay uh, for uh, an agency to do an investigation of complaints against him about sexual misconduct with uh, women that he had been in a counseling relationship with. No, thank you, Norm. Um, yes, it's true. We've had a long relationship, uh, a good relationship, a good friendship uh, in which we've uh, struggled through many issues. And this is, uh, this is certainly one of them. Um, uh, like Norm, I've valued our friendship. Uh, not that we always agree, because most of the time we don't agree, but we agree on essentials. Um, and um, how we might respond or engage differently uh, with the stuff of uh, Jean Vanier is not an essential. It's um, not something that we ground either our lives or our relationship on. Uh, but it is an important issue. Um, I've met Jean Vanier for the first time in, oh, I would say it was around 1977 or 78, uh, when he was speaking at Massey Hall. And from the moment that I heard him, uh, I found that his words, his message had a had kind of the ring of truth. Uh, it was compelling, it was engaging. Uh, and I began reading his books, which uh, had a profound influence on, um, on my life in the sense of affirming what I cared about. I, I felt uh, drawn to work with uh, kids and people in trouble, uh, whether they were in trouble because they got themselves there or because of someone else's actions didn't really matter to me. Uh, and I found his message very uh, affirming in the sense of my own mission and, and work with, uh, with people in trouble. Uh, over the years, I uh, met Jean Vanier a number of times. Uh, I wouldn't say we were close friends, but we did develop a friendship uh, to the point that um, in one of his latest books, he asked me to write a preface for it, which I took as an honor and as a sign that our friendship was had some mutuality to it, mutual respect anyhow. I also spent time with him in um, France uh, at the L'Arche community where uh, together with a video team, we did a number of videos on love and justice and compassion and mercy. And uh, during our time in, in producing those videos in his home, uh, I felt increasingly drawn to him. Uh, and so when the news came, it was um, a tremendous shock because it's not something that I expected of him. Uh, Although I do know that uh, leaders like him get put on 
pedestals. Uh, and whether it's uh, uh, Bill Hybels or Jimmy Swaggart, or you know, we can go down the list of people in spiritual and Christian leadership who have uh, fallen and fallen badly. Uh, we can go to all kinds of analysis on why that's the case, because they're put on a pedestal or because of a lack of intimacy in their lives. The um, kind of affirmation that they get from a crowd is not the same as personal affirmation and the embrace of someone who really cares about them. Uh, and so there's a vacuum that um, I think it was Richard, no, not Richard, uh, Ronald Rollheiser, who uh, talked about a holy longing. And he used that holy longing idea to describe why it is that some people enter into uh, perverse sexual relationships to satisfy an inner, inner need. Uh, and that may have been what it was with Vanier. I don't think the analysis matters so much. I think it's disturbing uh, because it's a, another leader taking advantage of people in vulnerable positions, people who put themselves into his trust. Um, the thing that I grapple with uh, or have grappled with was what do I do with all the books on my shelf? You know, the books behind me. Do I do I burn them? Do I get rid of them? Do I, do I now discount the message that I found so compelling and moving? What do I do with that? Um, do his actions or does his action invalidate the good stuff that he taught? What do we do with that? And that's one of the routes that we're going to go down uh, in our conversation, I'm sure. Uh, my relationship with Vanier was different than Ron's in the sense that I, I, he was my companion as an author. And I first read uh, a book by him called Followers of Jesus in uh, probably around 1982. And that introduced to me, uh, out of my born again sort of faith background, a very different way of experiencing the presence of Jesus in a person's life and in the day-to-day -day life, and to be able to follow Jesus who goes ahead of us into all of life. Uh, he talked very profoundly about the brokenness of all of us. And one of the thing journeys that Ron and I have been on is that my work tends to be with affluent, uh, highly advantaged people, and his history was working with prisoners. And one of the discoveries we make is that we all have similar brokennesses, and the world that I operate in uh, many of us have better tools for masking our brokenness than people who are more observably broken. And Ron and I would both put ourselves in the category of broken people who need uh, the help of God and the help of one another and the help of our spouses and uh, Ron's dog and whoever <laughs> happens, to, happens to be available to help us stay uh, on the straight and narrow. And uh, so I found him a very helpful uh person in, in even thinking through how I do my work. Um, his book on the Gospel of John, I would say, Touchstone paid for at least 200 of them to give away to people uh, because it was a very helpful uh, listening to the music of the Gospel of John and revealing Jesus in a profound way. Um, 
and so we, we do grapple with what do we do with that. I don't believe that anything that I learned from him that I have come to believe is truth is not still true. Um, obviously, both Ron and I have tested a lot of these ideas with each other. We've tested them with scripture. We've tested them with our communities of faith, uh, our own personal practice of the ministries that we've been involved in. So something that's true is still true. And so somebody who led me, as Vanier did, he was one of the door openers to the contemplative tradition for me. Uh, I've had lots of influences in that pattern, but I have to be very selective and have my own filters about what I accept and what I reject and what I ultimately base my life and ministry on. And so uh, he, he, he's a guy that I referred to frequently. I held in high, high esteem. And when I got the news that uh, from the letter that was released by the Larch uh, International Organization. I, I was everything from angry to, you know, sorrowful, um, a whole host of things. And then there were a flurry of responses in various media, uh, writers and speakers and people uh, trying to deal with some of the questions that Ron and I probably think aren't necessarily resolvable, but they went along the lines of, um, you know, well, we're human after all. Uh, David had a big sin and God loved him. Uh, another one is, uh, well, uh, we're better than him. We wouldn't be like that. Um, another one is, well, at least he didn't uh, use the same kind of techniques with the residents of Larsh. And, uh, and the last one, um, was for some people, it was like a saint in my life uh, has fallen. And uh, so there were, those categories for me were, are sort of the lines that I've been going down, trying to come to grips with my own attitude, because I don't think I can do anything about who Vanier is or was. Uh, I can grieve over his life and pray that God loves him still. Um, but I do have to figure out my own reactions because that tells me something uh, that may be good or bad about myself. And, uh, and there are lessons here to be learned about how I uh, go through my listening to God and my spiritual formation myself and how I serve the world. And so as we continue the conversation, we'll, we'll grapple with some of these issues together, and, uh, but not from the point of view of saying, here's the answer or here's the reason. I think neither of us believe we've got the right answer to whatever your question might be about Vanier. And apart from the only information that I'm using to have my opinions is based on the report that was released by the Larsh Foundation. Beyond that, uh, any information that might be out in the marketplace is not particularly helpful to me. Uh, just their investigative report is all that I'm dealing with. Well, I think the unfortunate thing about any investigative report is that it deals with uh, with one segment of a person's life, one point in time, and and I think that um, as serious as that is, it's unfortunate that we tend to focus in on that one segment. Um, yeah, I think we're you know we're all broken people, we're all human, and certainly he was too. And in a sense, it's refreshing to know that he wasn't perfect. Um, it makes him, in some ways, more relatable. Uh, 
not to in any way condone what he did, but it makes him somewhat more uh, relatable uh, because it tells me that he probably did struggle with issues that are that are common uh, to humanity, common to ourselves. Uh, and I'm not so sure in various areas of life that we've been perfect either. Um, I'm, now, Ron, I'm very disappointed that you're assuming that I'm not perfect after all these years. You've you've not noticed my perfection. <laughs> Some areas, yes. <laughs> not at all. You're delusional. Uh, but the but I think the 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 fact the fact is that you know we elevate one kind of misbehavior one area of sin above other areas now if people knew me and i dare see if people really knew you uh we'd be off our uh tiny little pedestals pretty quickly too well i uh, i, I unfortunately my pedestal got worn out a long time ago and i'm actually <laughs> I, mine's gone down into the ground a bit well, not the pedestal that people put you on. You no, and, 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 and that, I think that's but, the. But that's the, and that's where I, I think I have a slightly different um, view of it in the sense that I agree. Like we all, all of our broken pieces are all part of our life. We all have them. So no, let's not pretend. And that's one of the reasons I found some of the writing that was done saying we're better than that really, really uh stupid i mean that like yeah, it's yeah. like if for me to say i'm better than vanier by because of what happened only puts me in a category where i actually need more help because the minute i start saying i'm better than anybody uh, rather than i am a person still in need regardless of, we're, we're not doing comparative spirituality like the danger we get into is i compare my life to somebody else's and it either makes me feel good by comparison as in the parable that jesus told of the pharisee and the and the tax collector uh, which you end up being in arrogance, or you end up on the other end of the spectrum, and if you haven't really found that you're loved by God, you end up in depression and, and self-loathing. And so that whole business of comparing yourself to somebody else and then declaring yourself superior is a spiritual uh, minefield as far as I'm concerned. And so I, when I see a lifelong pattern uh, of taking advantage of position. And the report was very clear. This wasn't just an episode or something. It was his relationship with his mentor uh, who had these same practices and was ultimately uh, defrocked by the church. And Vanier was warned away from him, but Vanier, for whatever reason, and we don't know the reasons, uh, seemed under the control of this person. And so he continued to enable his uh, taking advantage of women back in the late in the early 50s and then he began to repeat as a, it appears as a lifetime of the same kind of pattern using jesus talk to get uh, physically intimate with women who were coming to him for spiritual guidance and so for me that's that's a sort of a systematic uh violation of the trust a leader has and you know we both know that it, there are certain things that our boards if they looked at them they would just say you're out of business it's not that they don't love you or god doesn't love you or that we're all broken people but you have a responsibility as a leader not to take advantage of that role against anybody who is vulnerable 
And so that's where my, my difficulty lies because I hear the voices of the women and their spouses and their children. And so the voices of the victims uh, cry out to me from the report, uh, even though it's done very anonymously, um, because I know that, you know, the people that you've served as prisoners often are the victims of that very kind of thing. And so, you, so, you know. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it is very difficult. Uh, I mean, I've worked, I've worked with both the victims and offenders of, in these kinds of cases, and it's never, it's never really clear cut. Um, how the abuse begins to happen, where it goes, how it ends, uh, who's responsible. Uh, I mean, I dare say that in some of these situations, it's very difficult for a person in leadership to draw a clear line. Uh, not saying that uh, Vanier was approached or didn't take the initiative, but I don't want to spend a lot of time figuring that part out. I've, I have a lot of uh, compassion for anybody who is caught up, for whatever reason, uh, in a problem like that. Um, they're not beyond redemption. Uh, the unfortunate thing with Vanier is that the revelations come after his life. With so many people, it comes during their lifetime, and they've got an opportunity to deal with it personally and relationally, and in the in their community. And in, uh, and in his case, just to be fair, he was asked uh, both about uh, his mentor and about his own practices, and he basically, according to the report, uh, denied, hence lied about it, and so. That's, that's, again, part of the challenge that I have. And again, it, it's not, nobody's beyond redemption. The guy I helped put in jail, I still met with him, offering him the grace of God as much as I offered anybody else. But somewhere in here, it's, and it's the thing that we grapple with is, okay, what influence do we allow him to have going forward? And what lessons do we learn ourselves about our own leadership and about the, the Christian community, perhaps, or the faith community, that needs to be warned themselves, not about Vanier, but about the practices that allow us to put him in positions of sainthood and pedestal, and why is it celebrities end up having these roles uh, in our culture when people who walk beside us day by day are really actually the people who reveal Jesus to us. But it's like, we, you know, who are the people in proximity of, with us who are gonna care for us? And so the people who reveal Jesus to me I can learn from people at a distance, but the people who are close to me and have walked with me for, for decades, like you, like Susan, like my kids, uh, like other friends who know me well and know my brokenness and know how to deal with it, uh, they, they're the ones who speak to me. And we have this, you know, the saint has fallen thing. And, uh, and you go, wait a minute, how in the world did you put him in that position? Why would you allow yourself to think of somebody at a distance that, and you know, and you and I have talked about this, that a lot of it maybe has to do with personality style. Like he was just a gentle spirited, you know, he had a presence about him that oozed kindness and he exuded uh, generosity and, and people just were drawn to him. But, you know, I was, 
you know, as I said to you one day, I, I, I said, you know, like the Apostle Paul, he had more edges than Vanier, Peter, even Jesus, and in, according to the way people want to create saints, none of those people, even Jesus, would have been a saint. And so it's, it's how do we find the revelation of God in each other in all of our complexity and not turn to these people at a distance and think that they are somehow superior to the, you know, the guy sitting there in Cape Breton, who's been my friend uh, for 40 years. Uh, and, you know, is, is by no means a Vanier-like saint, but is a loving uh, person of God in my life. Well, if, if I put you on a pedestal and call you a saint, that's my sin not yours. Exactly. Or stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And certainly if you put me on a pedestal and call me a saint, I'd probably want to kick your butt because I I know that that would be a lie. But we do that. I mean, we do look up to certain people and that doesn't mean necessarily that we've elevated them to uh, sainthood, but we look up to them because they've offered us something that has a ring of truth. Uh, The message is real, it's right, it's relevant. Uh, And the reality and the truth and the relevance of that message doesn't go away. So I I don't feel a need at this point to discard the message or the validity of the message just because the messenger has failed. I mean, God knows that we're all feeble messengers. Uh, as were some of the prophets, and uh, certainly some of the disciples were feeble messengers right. at points. Um, but the Apostle Paul or Jesus, in their communication, they didn't take, they didn't have a lot of patience for people who would take advantage of the vulnerable. And so that's where. Uh, my difficulty lies. And it's, again, not to pile on Vanya because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know, but but after all, sin is sin. It doesn't matter. I, why, where do we get this hierarchy of stuff that one is worse than another? Well, I, I no, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying the sins are worse. I'm saying the violation of leadership trust. Well, is okay. That, call that it, is, call it something like that. It's still, it's still, we're saying that that's worse than other ways of betraying trust. No, I'm saying any leadership betrayal of trust is an equivalent. So if he had stolen money, if he had, you know, dealt drugs, the sin issue isn't the issue for me. The issue is taking advantage of a position of power and misusing that in the lives of those who are vulnerable and who are looking to you for help. And then you use their longing for protection as a weapon against them for your own selfish no no I, we, we both got that we both got right. that it's what do you so what do you do with it well for me what i do with it is i basically have to say uh the lessons that i learn are along the lines of sort of the lifetime lessons that we've we have learned is that we can't allow ourselves to be so isolated that we can't see evil when it's in our face uh, you know, why is it he wasn't able to see the evil that was going on with his mentor, even though it was outlined by the authorities of, of the church? 
Uh, and he had, but he, for whatever reason, saw good in evil. And so when people use the Jesus language and the spiritual language to then uh, mess with people, uh, to get money out of them, to take advantage of them sexually, to take advantage of them emotionally and control them. Like I see, you know, you and I have seen this over a lifetime, people using the Bible, using faith stuff as a weapon against people to control them and to take advantage of them. And so for me, that's the issue. And, and so, it, you know, whether it happened to be a sexual one is less important. And so for me, the, the, there's an issue for me making sure that I put myself uh, in a healthy place spiritually, but it's also in terms of the people that I live with and work with. Uh, my longing is that we would never allow ourselves to be so focused on one point of view or one speaker or one teacher, especially me, uh, that we aren't listening to varieties of points of view, that people who are in one particular faith tribe think it's the only one, when in fact we need the richness of the body of Christ at large to uh, inform a wider understanding of the kingdom. And so you have this, you know, I, I think that, that if there's any kind of lesson to be learned from him is that somehow he never allowed himself to be challenged or addressed about some of these things. And maybe he thought they were fine anyway. Uh, I don't know. But it, it, it creates a whole different kind of um, challenge for me because I, I see people quoting whoever happens to be the most recent uh, celebrity that we have, and and I hope that they're doing their own thinking, that they're not just saying, okay, now he answered all the questions I ever had, um, but, oh, there I learned something from him, but now I'm going to go and test it with scripture and with Jesus and with my friends, and, and you know, that that's another thing I can learn. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in um, in the Anglican tradition, which says that there are really three pillars that we depend on when we're trying to discern these things. One is, uh, of course, scripture. Another is tradition and um, reason. And I think sometimes we add another one to it, which is community or relationships, uh, whether it's a, a friendship, a close spiritual friendship, or a small group of people who hold each other accountable. I think those are all the important, four important areas of resource that we need to look to when we're either trying to sort ourselves out or trying to discern whether a person's teaching is uh, worth trusting, worth uh, listening to. Um, scripture, tradition, reason, and the community of friends. I think those, those four things are important. And I think that's something that we've done to a greater or lesser degree uh, in our relationship, I mean, do I do I think everything I say is uh, should be taken by anybody and everybody who hears what I say or reads what I write? Of course not. Uh, but I think I think that the the important part of community, and certainly it's been an important part of our relationship when it's when 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 we've been healthy or sober. Um, has been has been that we can explore ideas, knowing that by the end of the conversation we both might have a different point of view. That 
you know, we would go and, and listen to a gospel story, and then we'd go away for an hour and a half, and then come back and say, here's the experience we had of Jesus for that 90 minutes. And then the thing that often would happen is that the experience we thought we had is, was different by the time we'd had the conversation. And so there, there is that sort of how do we have some open-endedness to how we converse about ideas without always being right and wrong, a point you made right at the beginning, that whatever we ultimately conclude individually about the Vanier story is not central to our relationship, and having a different opinion about it doesn't affect the nature of our relationship. And unfortunately, so many uh, discussions go on in our culture that either you're in or out or you're for me or you're against me or and it's all black and white, and uh, and somehow Jesus's arms are much bigger than all that. I mean, I, I I'm with you. I believe he loves Fanye, but I I think he shed a lot of tears for those women, and uh, and so that's the and for, and, and for Vanier. Sure. So what? Uh, well, let me just let me I just. Think some, I think it's important to have as much compassion for the offender as for the victim. Yeah, and that's that, and that's where you get. I'm better than that as the. Um, as the danger place, just as much as, well, we're all just human is a dangerous place from my point of view, because... Uh, but it's true. Well, no, but it is, but true. it is true, but you and I both know that we have to help each other have moral rigor in our lives as we exercise our responsibility, because we know we're just human. We have to do whatever the hell we think we need to do to help us from not screwing up. And so it's, it's, it, it's that if we're all just human, then uh, allows us to say, well, ah, I was just, well, human. It, it just depends on that. how you use, it depends on how yeah. you use that statement. If I say, but we're all just human, I could mean, well, that takes us all off the hook. Yeah. Uh, that's my if point. I say, but, but we're all human. It is also a recognition of my vulnerability. Absolutely. If that guy is human and can fall, I certainly can too. Yeah, and that's that's the point that I think we both agree on is that we both we both still at our <laughs> in our dotage uh, still <laughs> need a heck of a lot of help. Even though our testosterone levels are down, uh, we still need a lot of help. Let me let me offer a couple of a couple of uh, bits. What I would consider at least a bit of advice to our our touchstone community from lessons that we've learned and Ron, if you either disagree with one or you want to add to it, uh, feel free. But I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then we've got a prayer that Ron and I are going to read. It's from the liturgy uh, of uh, that we use in our Celtic uh, communion service on our retreats. And uh, it's a prayer focus on God, a confession of uh, sin, a uh, assurance of pardon, and then uh, a prayer uh, to invoke the presence of God in our day-to-day -day life. And uh, so I, I would just say, here, here are a few thoughts uh, for those of us who are trying to figure out our way through this kind of minefield of, of how we approach things. And the first thing I would say is keep grounded in an authentic understanding and or relationship with Jesus, whatever it is that when Ron and I, Ron introduced this, his segment, uh, the center isn't going to be what we agree on except uh, the relationship that we have with Jesus. And so we have to keep that relationship with God as central 
uh, in our lives and, and that core relationship with a few other people. And it allows us to confirm what we think is right, and, but it also allows us to confront that which is not right uh, in our lives and uh, find ways to ultimately live out that understanding of Jesus with some integrity. Secondly, have wide and varying resources for your understanding of the gospel. Uh, work outside the tradition that you were raised in. I was raised in a wonderful Baptist tradition, which enriched my life, but it wasn't the whole gospel. It wasn't the whole kingdom of God. And so I've had to learn from other sides of the, the Christian tradition in order for me to expand my understanding of, of life in God. And I would say in the course of doing that, make sure those things that you are adding into your life move you into areas that encourage transparency, not secrecy. If you look at addiction issues, most of the addiction issues that are there end up being silent sins and escape from reality. But we need to find ways to, to find the comfort of friends who, who trust us so that we can move to transparency, that we move to love, not power that we look to service, not control. And so test, but test the truths that you are acquiring uh, with the things that Ron was talking about in terms of scripture, tradition, uh, reason, and community, but also uh, with uh, your friends, which I find even a little tighter than community because you can sit down and over a longer period of time, explore what you're thinking. And, of very great importance when we start thinking about these saintly figures. Make sure you are doing your own exploring of scripture and faith, doing your own thinking. If you're reading somebody, and I read a lot of people, value what you're learning, but have your own filters to say, does that, is that true? Does that work? Is that confirmed by anything that anybody else around me uh, values? but find ways through scripture, through creation, through the incarnational presence of Christ and other people around you uh, to, conf to evaluate what you're reading. Because just because something is new doesn't make it better. Uh, a lot of times the ancient truths are, in my opinion, uh, they stood the test of time. And it's, along that, be very careful about how you ascribe sainthood to people at a distance. Um, Hold people with respect, test what they say, but don't make saints out of people whose lives you really don't know and, uh, and go from there. And then finally, develop a sense of the saints around us. Value the presence of Jesus in the people who walk with you every day. The people who get on your nerves. We're Susan and I are stuck in a house together. Rod and Celeste are stuck in a house together up in Cape Breton. And yet we've got to see each other as saints. We have to see each other having the presence of Jesus in one another and carry on with respect. And so find ways to elevate your understanding of the humanity and as well as the, the presence of Jesus in those around you. Any, anything you'd add to that, Ron? No, I think you've adequately covered it. <laughs> At some length. Yes. So uh, we have a prayer that we just want to read, uh, if I can, if I can uh, find my copy of it. And uh, so, Ron, why don't you uh, 
do the prayer of confession. I'll do the, uh, well, no, you start with the prayer of focus on God, and uh, then I'll read the prayer of confession, and you can do the prayer of assurance of forgiveness, and then I'll do the final prayer of invocation and bid our friends goodbye. Okay. Uh, we come in these moments to God in our need and bringing with us the needs of the world. We come to God who has come to us in Jesus and who walks with us the road of our world's suffering. We come with our faith and with our doubts. We come with our hopes and our fears. We come as we are because it is God who invites us to come and God has promised never to turn us away. A prayer of confession. Holy God, maker of the skies above, lowly Christ, born amidst the growing earth, spirit of life, wind over the flowing waters. In earth, sea, and sky, you are there. O hidden mystery, sun behind all suns, soul behind all souls, in everything we touch, in everyone we meet, your presence is round us, and we give you thanks. When we have not touched, but trampled you in creation, when we have not met, but missed you in one another, forgive us and hear now our plea for mercy. A prayer of assurance for forgiveness. The creator of the world watches over us in our waking and our sleeping. The savior of the world ransoms himself for our sins and for our eternal life. The spirit of the world dwells within us to guide us and keep us safe. The God of love and mercy grant us the grace of pardon, wholeness, and peace. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. And a prayer of invoking the presence of God in our day-to-day -day life. Come, Father of the poor. Come, light of our hearts. Come, generous spirit. By the glory of your creation around us, by the comfort of your forgiveness within us, by the wind of your spirit eddying through the years within our lives, renew us so that we come glad to our circles of friendship. Amen. God holy, God strong and holy, God holy and deathless, have mercy on us. So thanks for taking the time. Ron, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time out of your unbelievably busy schedule there in northern Cape Breton. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope the snow melts soon and uh, I'm growing today. Yeah we've got snow squalls here today on April the 16th in uh, yep. your Lord 2020. So thanks a lot Ron and um, I hope uh, we get a chance to have another conversation <laughs> in just as kind and gentle a fashion as we did today. Yes, that would be that would be good. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Yeah, you too. See ya. Bye. Yep.